0: This is The Social Geek, Radio Network. Hello, geeks, and welcome to The Social Geek Podcast. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing conciliai. Today, we're going to blow shit up. That's right. When does a brand clear the decks and just start over? Who's done it well and who didn't? My rock stars today, Liz Solar of Solar Media, Northeast Colors' Derek Abelman, and Kristen Pahacek of Massage Luxe. episode is brought to you by Answer Connect, Adplorer, and a quick note about Brand J. The industry's best franchise development and marketing agency has a whole new space and a new direction on Fran Dev videos, websites, lead gen, and fractional Fran Dev sales. Check it out today at brandj.com. And it is time to blow shit up on Social Geek Rockstars. Today's rock stars include Derek Abelman from Northeast Color. Hey, Derek.
1: Hello.
0: Good to see and hear you again, my friend. Kristen Pahacek from Massage Lux. How are you?
2: I'm doing wonderful on this fabulous fall day up here in Wisconsin.
0: Love it. Love it so much. And uh, speaking of fall days, we're going to go back to the Northeast with Liz Solar. How are you, Liz?
3: Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. The leaves are falling and that means we have, what, uh, two weeks until Christmas or something like that. So um, I thought it would be uh, kind of a a nice nice time of year as the the leaves are falling and we're looking at budgets and planning and what we're going to do for 2024 to think about those brands and those times when it might be time to blow shit up. And um, I've done quite a bit of that this year. And I don't, I don't think I've, I've harmed too many people with with our rebranding. Um, but you know, time will tell. Um, Derek, let's start with you. When, when we talk about in the marketing world, blowing shit up and starting over and, and wiping the slate clean, maybe for the new year, where where does that sort of lead you?
1: Well, I would I would start by saying that like marketers are notoriously cavalier about blowing shit up. Anytime we start a new job, we walk into the company and we just start pointing at things and saying, "This has got to change. This is dumb. This is old. You're talking to the wrong people in the wrong way." And it's it's exciting because like, ooh, we're gonna shake things up. But um, but I think that the why has to really be underneath it. Why are you doing this? Right? It can't just be a cosmetic change. If you Simply want to change things because it doesn't feel cool enough or some new person came with new ideas and this isn't how they do it. That's maybe not the right strategy to take. So, so I feel that it has to, it has to have that why behind it. And I think that you can be edgy and you can be you know provocative. You can, you could really shake things apart, but, but I think being able to make changes without causing a lot of harm either to your clients or to the people that work in your company, right? Because I think that if, if we're too cavalier about blowing things out, we tend to forget about all of the other people in the blast radius. Down yeah. The company.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think we forget about those people because it's that head of marketing who comes in, and there might be some people who've seen two or three or four heads of marketing come and go. In their tenure, right? I mean, what's what's the average CMO in this country right now? They're in their position for about 18 months. So imagine, imagine the other team members who've seen several people come in and blow everything up and then then someone else came in and blew that up. So Kristen, you've you've gone from a couple of different really cool brands and then you know moved things in into a new direction. Have you really considered that blowing things up or is it more of a, a, a more of a controlled tactical move? What's What's been your experience?
2: Yeah, I think Derek raises a really solid point. And frankly, probably a little bit of a problem in franchising in particular. To your point, every 18 months, we're seeing CMOs transition out of their roles and uh, brands are welcoming new CMOs. And like Derek said, they come in and they want to put their stamp on the brand. And by the time they've put their stamp on the brand, they're ready to leave. So it's this constant re-evolution of what the brand is supposed to be and who the brand is supposed to appeal to. And as a result, we have a lot of disconnected brands out there in franchising and just in multi-location brands in general. Um, each reflecting a certain tenure of a certain CMO. So that's certainly been my experience um, with larger brands. You know, I I try to fight that mold, right? In that you really shouldn't touch anything for the first at least six months of a role so that you get a really good idea of, hey, what is working? What isn't working? Not everything has to be blown up. Maybe it's just a refinement, right? Or um, a different way of looking at things, but not necessarily throwing the baby out with the bathwater
0: that's an interesting rule that maybe we should all look at six months before you're allowed to push the button. Right. And and let's see what's actually working and what's not working. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think we can get out of this, uh, opening topic without talking about the agency life because, you know, at an agency, you're constantly seeing when, when the new head of marketing comes into your brand client, uh, Oh, this could, be, this could be trouble if this is, you know, someone who wants to push that button. Liz, you've had a lot of experience in agencies and uh, marketing and advertising firms over the years. Do you, is this something that you see more of now or was it more prevalent maybe 10 years ago? What, what's your
3: take? It's just that all the systems around the marketing have also changed. The technology changes, the way we deliver things. So then you need the next new expert in whatever that thing is, whatever that system is, there's going to be a new person who has a different vision. So things used to be, you know, generational in, you know, 15 or 20 years. Now it's like 10 years. Sometimes that generation can be two years. So to feel like you're still relevant, you still go with that change you know even the even some of the tools that we use to do the marketing even within our small groups within our small businesses you know it's like oh can you do slack and google and could you do you know what was the one from a, a long time ago that was like zoom i can't remember anymore because yeah. of skype you know skype, so webex so, yeah you know They've like everybody had it. had it you got to have it so the way we even position these things the tools that we use change and we need like the next expert like to teach me how to use Zoom, yeah, or yeah. or to to make Zoom behave a certain way.
1: You know, Liz, that that kind of makes me think about when I was when I was writing some notes about this. Something that came up for me is is revolution versus evolution, right? So like, there is incremental change that happens over time that is responsive evolution that is responsive to the environment that is responsible to the climate that is responsive. That, that really helps bring you in a direction. And then there's revolution, which is a shock and a shake. That's the blow up, right? And and I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think sometimes you need a revolution to knock something out, right? So that you can create the space for the new thing to grow. But as a rule, we shouldn't be burning down the house every day. <laughs> like We, should, we yeah. should try to look at it. And I, and I love the idea of waiting six months before touching something because you have to understand, there's so much to understand. And I, and I feel that, when we look at a brand, especially like a, a a legacy brand, something that's been around for a while, there's a reason why it was successful. There's some there's something in there that that is timeless, that is valuable, and and I feel that a good marketer will be able to identify that to separate the wheat from the chaff and see what the real lifeblood of this brand is and how can we optimize that, or bring more attention to that in in this coming you know term.
0: That's a smart marketer and a wise marketer. I think we can all think of people we've worked with who um, anything that wasn't their idea or anything that wasn't their baby is ugly and we've got to get rid of it, right? Um, I think the smart marketer, the smart brand person can take a look at everything and, and there's no way every company is a 100% terrible, right? There's got to be something there or there wouldn't be a company anymore. So, So blowing everything up, might not ever be a good idea but you know taking that time like Kristen said and and you know kind of deciding what's what's good and what's bad and um and i think that also goes along with something you said derek about you know what's what's coming up you know it isn't just what what did the brand do last year in the past five years and what needs to go away but those, those days are gone. We need to figure out what this brand is going to do for next year and the year after that in the next five years. And, and I think too often people throw things out that down the road, wow, we really could have used that program or we really could have, you know, put more resources into that new service that ended up being, you know, really successful for one of our competitors. Does anybody have any thoughts on maybe specifically in the branding side of life, um, Any brands that whether it's franchise or other that have done a big blow up and rebrand and new look and new colors and new logo and all of that stuff any any pop to mind when I when I say rebranding and blowing it up
3: um I don't know whether it's so much in the look of their logo although they've tweaked it but Peloton you know they were the thing like you know 2020 hit and We're going out and getting our Peloton. We're getting our fitness on because we don't have any place else to go. So people were, you know, buying these very expensive, you know, door, you know, clothes hangers, um, which they've become. And Peloton, you know, Peloton had to go from, oh, we love celebrities and influencers and, you know, pretty looking people. And we're going to charge you a monthly fee, kind of steep for most people, so that you can have our programs to be like anyone, anytime can can do Peloton and they've gone beyond being on that bicycle to doing yoga and weight training and things that you can do without investing in a lot of equipment and they have cut their membership down. I think that I wouldn't call it, it, it is evolution, but I think it's more of an adaptation. Here's the market, here's the reality of where we are now. People weren't going anywhere so they could spend a thousand plus to have that bike in programs. Now I want to do something else with my time and spend my money a different way. And I don't have to be a beautiful person or wear Lululemon, who I think is an, like an affinity partner or, um, you know, they're affiliated now. So, the, you know, them and Smartwater. So I see them partnering with more products and services to put out the Peloton name. So that's, I think, one really, really strong contender.
2: I love that. I think the fitness industry in general has had to really evolve over the past three years, right? Prior to that, they had to evolve because of competition, right? The studio fitness boom exploded right before COVID. And then, of course, going into COVID, all of these uh, fitness providers were asking themselves how to provide value to their members, or their clients outside of their actual brick and mortar. So a lot of them have had to evolve or blow shit up in relation to their digital technology in order to meet their clients and members outside of their physical location. So that's been a really interesting industry shift that, you know, wasn't proactive, but rather reactive, probably due to the lack of proactiveness that the brand had in the first place or the industry had in the first place.
1: I would, I would also say, like, I'm reminded, one of the first things I thought of when this came up was somewhere in the 2000s, there was this um, streak or this trend of sort of nonsensical Dada-esque alt-comedy rebranding that happened with, like, Old Spice, Quiznos. Yeah. Like, and, like, they just started getting real loopy. And it was kind of awesome. Um, and a little goes a long way, and it doesn't always age very well. But I remember watching these Old Spice ads and being like, wow. And Burger King was like, we're going to make this um, this King figure really creepy and weird. We're going to run with that. And I <laughs> felt happy for them. I was like, somebody got into a room and just somehow sold that. And that's that was cool. And then, of course, it became its own trend and then it wore out and all of that. But I, you see a lot of that. Like, I think Wendy's has a really spicy Twitter. Or, and X yeah. is another example, Twitter X, right? Yeah. They have a spicy, you know, you're just hiring smart asses right? And, 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 and there's maybe not a ton of mileage in that overall, but it will, it will create that it will blow shit up, it will get you attention. And it will kind of reset the conversation, which is what marketing is supposed to do, in a, in a sense, right?
0: Yeah, I think it also depends on your position in the market, right? It, it's what's going on in the landscape? Are we are we going into COVID? Are we coming out of COVID? You know, what, what's going on in people's lives, but also, you know burger king would could do that mcdonalds could not right it's easy to it's easy to say we've got to try something different when we're losing market share and we're number 3 it's kind of hard to do something different when you're still king of the hill in your McDonald's or, or your Starbucks or whatever in your category, it's kind of hard to go to the board and say, you know what, we're going to go a different direction. We're, we're kind of tired of making money and being profitable. So we're going to try something cool. Right. Um, but if you're, if you're Burger King and you're getting your ass kicked every day and every week by McDonald's, why not? You know, and, and maybe mm-hmm. that's why Burger King has had so many rebrands. I mean, they've changed that logo about five times in the past 10 years. And, and I don't know if that's new CMO, new creative agency, new whatever, or it's just, you know, Hey guys, what we're doing ain't working. So let's, let's try again. Um, it's interesting to me when someone who's at the top of a category actually sticks their neck out and does some rebranding, um, the one that comes to mind to me is Dunkin' Donuts, which is now Dunkin'. They took the damn word donuts out of the title. Ty- are you kidding me, right? They literally took donuts out of their the thing that they are most known for and do the best. And you know what? All I've seen is growth. They are selling franchises like hotcakes, and um, it hasn't made a difference. And I hear people actually just saying Dunkin' now. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, it's all about the coffee for for Dunkin Donuts. I think it's more of a culture war with Starbucks. There's the Dunkin people and they're the Starbucks people. And I mean, I'm in New England. Right. We eat ice cream, you know, during a blizzard. And we (laughs) like people walk around with that like like 80 ounce iced coffee in in January and February. So, you know, it's you know, I'm, I'm just a you know, very proud person. And I'm going to pack my cow wherever I want to. And I'm going to have my Duncan. And that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it.
0: You are a brand advocate for Duncan. And um, did you feel any change in the force when they dropped donuts from the name? Or were you cool with it? Or how, how did that make you feel?
3: I, I have to admit, I, I don't love donuts. And when Krispy Kreme was here, I was all over Krispy Kreme. I'm not a big Dunkin' fan. I'm not even a big Dunkin' Donuts coffee fan. Wow. I really, I'm not Starbucks either. I'm more of an independent.
0: Okay, good. When it comes would, to
3: my coffee.
0: I, I, <laughs> I want to check your ID and make sure that you're, you're still a resident of Massachusetts because that, that's, that's a little uh, off-brand.
3: Don't make me get into the favorite that. Boston expletive and prove it to you, Jack. Right. Well, I, I'm off brand
0: in that uh, I grew up in Chicago and I don't like hot dogs. So we're not all subjects of our upbringing, I guess. So right. so any other thoughts on uh, brands that have done a big rebrand that went well or or maybe didn't go so well?
1: well I think Twitter had a bit of a problem with <laughs> with the switch to X I wouldn't call that a smooth rebrand um, I'm, I was I'm not on Twitter I, I have really no feelings about about that personally but um, you know you see these things roll up and anytime anyone rebrands there's always a lot of criticism right everyone suddenly is a designer oh I hate the new UPS logo like what do you like what yeah. it's just people. Yeah oh, skin in the game or whatever, aren't even designers. But I think with X, with that, um, what I saw which in the conversation was that it was more about a person than it was the brand. Yeah, And I, and yeah. I think the transition uh, for, or the role of that platform has really gone from being a platform where people said or did things, however you want to judge that, to now it's a referendum on a person. Um, and, and I think that anytime you start tying an individual so closely to a brand, you 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 gain all of their attention and all of their clout, but now you risk yourself on that person and their behavior. Any spokesperson, right? Consider Subway and Jared Fogle, for yeah. example. Yeah. Like that's that's now those are always going to be associated, those two things. Yeah, that's so, a
0: case study in in marketing class, right? Yeah. So you know, uh, twitter's interesting to me because, um. I hated it before Elon Musk, and I still don't like it now. Right, so the, the, it didn't lose anything for me because it was not a brand that I was fond of before. But I, I understand there was, there are some people who are who are adamant that it it was way better before, and now there's a change. And I think that's something that comes with any rebrand is what what you're going to fight no matter what is there will be people who say it was way better back when, right? Or it's just not as good as it used to be, even though the product may be the same, the, the, you know, the messaging, whatever, might be all the same, but there's something about, it's just not as good as it used to be, you know? And And I think, you know, TV shows who lose a big actor, right? They, they run into that too, or, you know, any, any kind of entertainment where, you know, the, the lead singer of the band leaves and the new lead singer comes in and it's just not as good. Actually, it might be really as good, but to those to those diehard fans, it, it's suddenly just, you know, not as cool as when, you know, someone else was the lead singer. Um, any other thoughts on on brands that have done done it well or not so well?
3: Brand is something that we determine about that company or say about them behind their back. You know, in, in all of our businesses, people are going to, you know, you know, Jack Monson, it's how we regard you. And that's what the brand is. So I feel like so much of this stuff where people feel like they're being revolutionary and, you know, they have a new swish in that logo. It's it's really missing the point because, you know, what are people saying about you when, when you're doing that? So you can you can change all the elements around you but in in the end you're kind of stuck with who you are whether you're a corporation or a person and what do you do internally to change that perception so i keep going back to the perception rather than you know it's what we think about you not not you wearing a crazy crown or you know having brian cox you know you know do the uh, mcdonald's slogan so you know, that's I, I don't see many brands that I go, wow, that's really a change in, in yeah. what they're doing. I think sometimes it's just adapting to what's popular now. Like every insurance company now wants to be hilarious because people love insurance companies. Probably Isn't
0: that weird, right? Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. if you think about. I don't know how far back we want to go. Twenty five years ago, there's no way on earth all state and State Farm and all of these people would have, you know, the, 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 the goofy campy, um, you know, they skits.
2: Hand, hand. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Like, like that was so beyond what they wanted to do. Like, no, we're an insurance company. We need to be serious. We need to be trusted. We need to have guys wearing suits, right? Not guys wearing khakis, like, like in the case of State Farm. So it's, it's, it's strange that I guess maybe that's the landscape changed to the point where insurance companies said we need to be human as well and, and you know, get rid, of, get rid of the stuffy old guy and, you know, bring in, bring in mayhem, right, and, and, you know, do something fun like that.
3: That's a great point mm-hmm. because they are not selling their company. They're selling flow. They're selling, you know, em, Limu Emu, or, you know, they're selling. <laughs> emu um, and Doug. <laughs> right. I mean, they're selling all these people. So yeah. they're not, it's like, we're not the big scary people who won't pay for that tree that fell on your house. You know, you can call us in the middle of the night.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe that's, hopefully they were listening to their customers and that's who their customers want to buy from is not, stodgy old guy in a suit but they they'd rather deal with a character or someone who might be friendly and and might not you know talk down to them about their responsibilities and that kind of thing
2: it'll be interesting to see if they they hold to that humor you know when you think about like Super Bowl commercials are kind of the easiest way to pull out like what is the positioning yeah. of that brand right now in this current year and you know a couple of years ago humor was all the rage every single Super Bowl commercial was funny um, but just this last year, I mean, you were tearing up during some of the Super Bowl commercials, and it was really more about pulling on your heartstrings or the corporate responsibility and corporate give back that the um, brands were really touting. And so it is interesting, I think, that you bring a really good point in terms of consumer perception and then what the brand needs to do in order to shift that consumer perception based off of the the tack that they're taking and what they're saying. <laughs>
0: Our discussion after a quick word from AdPlore, our newest sponsor on Social Geek. Adplor is a local digital advertising software built specifically to help digital agencies, franchise brands, and multi-location businesses manage local advertising campaigns at scale. Adplor's technology enables users to scale advertising campaigns across thousands of SMBs, franchise locations, and enterprises all over the world. Agencies and internal marketing departments use Adplorer to automate the creation, management, and reporting of campaigns on Google, Bing, Facebook, Waze, LinkedIn, and Spotify. Check it out now at Adplorer.com.
3: What is it about us that's going to resonate to that potential client? It's like, oh, we, we have shared values. You know, we think in similar ways. We have a shared either background or understanding about worldviews so all of this comes together i think the brands we it's become such a slippery thing to talk about because everybody's a brand now everybody yeah, has a yeah. brand is a brand and it's like but are you really um and and, and i think we can we I think if you're using your brand simply to sell to anyone or to the highest bidder, it's such a, it's such a slippery slope. And are you connecting to the people who really reflect who you are that you can walk in lockstep with this person, this potential client, and it's, it's a perfect fit. So there's so many brands out there. It's like, what's, what's the fit and And I think that's why everybody kind of grabs it humor at the same time or, you know, during you know COVID, when everybody was like sounding like an MSPCA commercial, <laughs> um, you, know, you know, for 19 cents piano. you can save yeah. a dog. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, cue Sarah McLaughlin. So Glaughlin. So there's this this I think misconception about what brands are and what they can do, and maybe that's the thing that has to be blown up is just the the, the, the just the word brand.
0: Yeah. And maybe blow it up and, and actually tell people what you stand for. Because I think the 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 thing I've seen the most change in, in we'll say 15 years in the franchise space is getting away from this idea of our franchise brand is all about how much money you're going to make, right? How much does it cost? You know, what's, what's my profit going to be, right? Like that's what people were Talking about for forty years, fifty years, maybe a hundred, but lately we see a whole new generation of franchise owners who the number one thing they want to know is what does this company stand for, right? Do do my values align with this company's? And it could be a lot of them are people who have very progressive ideals. And maybe um, there are some that are very faith-based and things like that, that they want to make sure that, that they're lined up the, in a similar fashion. And I think we see more brands in franchising than we ever would have guessed that are actually you know, kind of wearing their stripes on the outside and saying, this is what we believe. And, and these are the people that, that we work with and um, this is our direction. We're not gonna, hopefully we're not gonna exclude anybody, but this is the direction we're gonna go, come along on our journey. And I think there are a, a lot of people out there who are looking for that sort of, I, I hesitate to call it family, cause I know that name, that word is overused, but I think there's a lot of people going that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I would agree with that with all of you. And, one of the things that I keep hearing is that this new generation or Gen Z or, or whatever we're calling the new people, right, that their relationships to commerce and to branding are so personalized and that we, and that, that needs to be served. They want from a job, from the, from the things that they purchase, from the brands that they associate themselves with, because they're all online, they're all on Instagram, right, so they are their own personal brand, so you as another brand are now an associate brand. There is now a brand syndicate that creates the persona of the person as they go about their life on Instagram or, or in the real world, and, and I think that we've we've really hit that point where there, there's this old saying, um, whatever you love, you are, and I think we are living in, in, in that hall of mirrors right now, for good or for ill, and I think in many ways, like, your brand doesn't have to be for everyone. Your brand doesn't have to answer anything. Um, to someone that you don't necessarily need in that family, right? And, and I think that when you look at things like, I'm always struck by this when I see pharmaceutical advertising, right, where it's people running on a beach or, or like putting their hand over their tummy in a kitchen while children run out to, into the backyard or whatever it is they're doing, all of these generic stock footage pieces, right? This is very synthetic. This isn't real. There's no spark. There's no soul. There's no reality there because it's pills. And then at the end, you get this big long list of things that will happen to you if you take <laughs> the pill. And, but, in but what you just saw was like a magnificent human experience, however bland and unoriginal it was. And so where, where does that fit within your life? Do you need to be sold this pill? Right? Like, what is it? What is it they're trying to communicate? And that to me is I think a very desolate view of branding uh, because it's, it's saying, I know you want this. You want to want this somehow, but I'm not real enough to communicate to you at your level. I just want to move a ton of pills.
0: I I see pharmaceutical ads, Derek. And and I always think, wow, I need to take a lot more medication because I would be going to a lot more carnivals and festivals (laughs) and picnics and, uh, you know, art fairs. That just seems like, yeah. um, I, I'm, I must be missing out because I'm not taking the right pharmaceuticals these days, but, uh, you
3: would never get off your bike. You would be, <laughs> you would be like condemned to
1: your backyard playing with this beautiful collie. Right. Never-
0: right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Frisbee golf happening out there that, that I'm just not taking the right drugs for right now, I guess. So, um, so as, as we wrap up, I wanted to, um, Come back to to one thing that I I heard a bit from each of you, and I've got a quick story to tell on that. And that's really listening to your customers. You know, before you blow any shit up, we better listen to the customers. Listen to the team, of course. Listen to you know your board if you if you need to, um, but uh, but really listen to the customers before you mess with their favorite brand. And um, my quick story is. We did earlier this year at, at my agency, Brand J, we did a rebrand. And the reason we went with this, and you folks in the studio can see the see the logo on the microphone there, the Brand J name, it all came from one client who posted one thing on LinkedIn about us and used the hashtag Brand J. And I saw that and I was like, I kind of like that right? Like that's, that's short. It's way shorter than the old name and it's quick and it's six letters and it's a hashtag nobody else is using. And I shared it with the rest of the team and they were like, yeah, other people have, have called us that in the past. It's just, you know, it's a nickname. Right. And it's like, well, what if that wasn't our nickname? Right. What, what if, what if that's what we start going by? And, and that was, if it hadn't been for that client I probably wouldn't ha- have had the guts to blow that shit up and start over with a new name but it was a client that we really respected and 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 then found out that other clients used the same nickname so then I felt a little bit more um, confident just to go ahead and do it so that was that was, that was that's my listening to a customer story
2: you know, it comes to mind, <laughs> I used to teach a, a marketing class at the university here in town. And one of the case studies that we would use was, you, you may or may not recall, when J.C. Penny was like, you know what, we're going to get rid of all of our coupons and we're just going to be low price. You don't need a coupon with us because we're just cheap. We're, we're not going to do the coupon thing anymore. We're just going to offer you the lowest price. And, um, you know, they rolled out this entire new brand strategy surrounded by that. Little did they know that their shoppers loved the gratification of having a coupon and getting that instant discount. And that's the whole reason they would shop there is because they had a coupon. And so um, they tanked the brand, right? And the whole C-suite was exited and they reverted back. But I think you raise a really good point in that sometimes us closest to the business we are the people who shouldn't be blowing shit up. We need to bring in both customers as well as people who aren't as close to our business to tell us whether or not our baby, which we've been using a lot on this podcast, is ugly or not, right? No one's going to admit their baby's ugly, but you need to find somebody to to it uh, to help you see the light um, and identify what needs to change in your business.
3: I find it interesting that we live in an age and have for decades now where research is king. Let's focus group this. Let's put out all of these forms where you check things off. And almost the more we do it, the further away we get from actual human beings telling us what they want. And I wonder if any of you have any insight into why that is
0: you know it could be easier when you're working with a smaller brand smaller agency you know we have we have 60 customers we have 60 brands we work with right we're we're not we're not a, a big you know franchise with 400 locations or or you know a consumer product company with thousands of customers so i mean we can we can bang out a bunch of phone calls and talk to every customer in 2 days right so so i think it's a lot easier when you're small and agile and you can you can turn quickly and and if you hear at this size, if you hear four customers say something, it's probably it's probably true, right? Uh, but when you're a huge company, you you rely on the research, and Liz, maybe it just means that some of the big research is not that reliable.
1: There's also you know the question of like, What is the performance within that research, right? Like a focus group pulling someone in, you're going to pay them a certain amount of money. Like, who are they? What are they? There's a performance to their opinion. There's an orientation there. They know they're being watched. Like, there is the game almost cancels itself, I think, at some level. And, you know, if I were in the position of, of trying to make a big decision about that, right, and I wanted to understand what are the associations? What's that? What's the cloud around my brand? What is the, what is, What is the feeling, the thought, all of that associated with it, the real immaterial stuff that is that is valuable. I would go to Yelp reviews. I would go. I would go to comment section. I would go to where people are speaking or behaving in a way where they aren't performing for someone who's paying for them. Maybe they're performing online or they're doing something like that. But but the. The stuff you don't want to hear is the stuff you most need to hear the things that you want to believe will mislead you, right? Like, how can you, how can you get to that truth? And, and I don't think you can pay for truth, um, but I think you can find it if you look.
0: Before we go, a quick word from Answer Connect. Everyone has a phone, but not everyone is answering the phone correctly. When you spend marketing dollars to grow your business, you cannot afford to miss any calls or answer the phone with, hey. Answer connect is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, to support new business, current clients, or urgent calls, and they send messages to you immediately. They integrate with many of today's popular CRMs, taking advantage of technology and taking one more thing off your to-do list. In addition to taking calls, they set appointments follow up on potential clients via form-filled inquiries and make outbound calls for reinvigoration campaigns. Let Answer Connect work in your business so you can work on your business. Call Answer Connect at 800-584-0234. That's 800-584-0234 or visit answerconnect.com slash franchise. And thanks for listening to Social Geek. Your comeback of a lifetime starts now. This is the Social Geek Radio Network.